welcome back to the Red River Horror Podcast. This is episode number 73. I'm doing your introduction today, but Eddie's going to be taking it over in a second for an interview with Darren Smith, a part two of our Second Age of Aquarius, directed by our very own Stacey Lane Wilson. So very excited for that. Remember to check that out on February 11th. You can check it out on Prime Video or I think a few other stream platforms. Like you can get it on Apple, Google, all that good stuff. So remember to support indie film. Check that out. And then let's take it over to Eddie and his interview with Darren Smith. If you listened to the podcast last week, yes, we spoke to Brooke Lewis Bellis. Obviously a big horror focus there. And we spent a lot of time with Brooke because... She's a Philly girl, so we had to pretty much run through all things Philly. No, not just the cheesesteaks and stuff like that, but the art scene and uh, so, so much more. But the subject of that interview ultimately was the second age of Aquarius. This week, we have one of the writers. Uh, I, I think you've done so much on this, but it's my pleasure to welcome Darren Gordon-Smith, for the second age of Aquarius, Darren, welcome to the Red River Horror Podcast. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that you have a foreigner on. I mean, somebody's not from Philadelphia. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, uh, I love Philly, though. Are you from LA? Are you actually born there? I'm from the Bay Area, uh, San Francisco. Lived in New York for years. I've been to Philly many times. Okay. Place. So that's that's in funny. Boundary. So it's it's. I'm finding this. I still charge that Stacy Lane Wilson is the only person I know that was actually born in Los Angeles. Nobody like there is from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so I figure. Well, why don't we? Last week when we spoke with Brooke, we we did a lot of horror talk because this is a horror podcast. But why don't we go right into the Second Age of Aquarius? Um, can you tell us what your roles? What your role is in this film specifically? Well, my role is the co-writer of this, this film, and I also, it, the film involves a 1960s fictitious rock star, kind of in the vein of Jim Morrison. This, the movie itself is kind of like if uh, mad science meets get him to the Greek. So, in any event, I wrote all the songs that this fictitious guy, Russell Aquarius, recorded and were hits between 1966 and 1970. And to do so, I used vintage equipment, vintage recording gear, tried to make it sound completely legit as if this is actually the music from that era. Wow. Okay. Now, this is this is very interesting because we, um, unfortunately, this week, the host of the show, the podcast host, Joe Zakreski, is not with us, but one of the things we talk about a lot on the Red River Horror Podcast is the music, the soundtracks. Brooke led on to some of that last week, but so you crafted all these songs at, at pretty much in a certain era. Like, you did all that. I did all that I, with the, the help of uh, a, a, producer of my, a producer of mine who uh, worked with for me on the uh, repo of the genetic opera. I'm the co-creator of that. Oh, yeah. wrote all the music in that. And so he helped me out. Um, of course, it's a whole COVID thing. The guy's in Nashville. I'm here in L.A. And, but in any event, and I should say, the lead vocals are done by Michael Ursu, who is also the co-lead 
in this film. He plays the he is Russell Aquarius. I was going to say I'm looking at the um, the pictures uh, on the website you guys have up, and I was like, I know I that's got to be even though it says it right under his name. All I all I needed was a look, and I know that's the guy you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did we when we found him backstage, man. The guy's like, this is perfect. Not only does he have the look and the acting chops, but he really is a musician. So he played the guitar in the movie. It didn't take much coaching to get him to go where he was because the guy is very, very talented. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And tell us about some of the rest of the cast. Uh, you have them all listed up here, but uh, but can you fill us in on the rest of the players here? Yeah, well, I tell you, um, Christina Jacqueline Kalt is the lead, and she plays this um, uh, computer programmer who wants to recreate the life her favorite rock star who supposedly died on stage in 1970 at the Gettysburg Music Festival when like the hand of Zor came down and zapped him with some with uh, got electrocuted she brings him back to life uh, the, the character Alberta played by Christina Kell and she it's a little more than she bargained for when she brings Russell Aquarius back to life. <laughs> sure, she likes having sex with the guy. <laughs> the best sexual uh, computer avatar maybe she's ever had. Um, but uh, <laughs> he's also, you know, he's chauvinistic. He's a man of that era. Sure, he's peace and love and all that. But, you know, more or less peace and love for, you know, guys. Yeah, right. Right. That's the um, I I was saying this. um, I actually say this a lot though on the podcast. One of the things I appreciate is uh, um, the co-writer of this film, Second Age of Aquarius, is a good friend of Red River Horror. She's the lead critic, um, (laughs) Stacey Lane Wilson. And like she just she pulls no punches. And there's no like what my favorite thing about Stacey is like there's no PC. There's no. There's no holding back. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, here's, here's the way it is. Here's the way it was. Like, let's push forward. Let's go. You know, there's no, none of this, uh, well, we should think about this person being sensitive here and this, nope, it's, uh, all forward. So is that, uh, second age of Aquarius rating wise, what, who is this film made for audience wise? I should ask. I think it's really made for people who love, uh, this is Spinal Tap, who love Woodstock, who love uh, The Doors, but the, but the, the movie with, by uh, Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's for a lot of different people, and I know that a lot of the horror crowd that we developed around when we were doing Repo, the Genetic Opera, they're also, you know, they're into this too. Yeah. So um, I would encourage anybody and everybody... <laughs> to come and watch it February 11th when it's out on all the all the platforms. Yep, and that's something I wanted to touch on. The uh, So it's, this has been, uh, I've heard about this. I mean, obviously, you know, Brooke, Brooke Lewis-Bellis, great promoter of all things. She's had this like in the docket for a while. And I've seen Stacy share a bunch of stuff about it, but it's it's taken quite a while to get to this point. Um, can you tell me why you decided now to release it, as opposed to going the route of say 
the genetic opera from all those years ago? Yeah, the reason is it has to do with COVID. We got everything wrapped up and everything was fine. It was just the end of 2019, but then COVID hit and it slowed down the post-production process. Um, also, you know, we're, we're, well, that's really the main reason. Yeah. Um, and so it was good. We, we got out. We, we, since then, we took it to the Zed Fest in LA and we won four awards there. And that yeah, was great. And it, it, not only because it's just getting the recognition, but uh, just on top of that, you probably know what it's like. You're sitting in your room all the time or in your studio or something. It's nice now to be able to get out in the world, kind of. <laughs> uh, but in that case, we actually did. We were able to get out in the world and watch people enjoy what we were doing. Oh, that's right. The Zed Fest. I was going to say, I mean, unless you're, you're you're over there in L.A., I mean, they they like you, you can't even open your door without the government knowing about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Um, no, that's right. I'm, I'm glad. You, I'm so glad you brought up Zedfest because that's one of the things we actually did a, a piece. I wrote it um, on the Red River Horror set. We had the the posters from some of the um, some of the the screenings that were going to be there. One of them being the Second Age of Aquarius. And I had forgotten. I can't remember. There was a still of Gary Oldman. Do you, what, do you know how what his involvement with that festival was, or with, was it with just one of the films? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I did watch all the shorts, though. Was it a short that, that you're talking about? I guess it had to have been. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, some of them were really good, as a matter of fact. But no, I, I don't remember anything about both Gary Oldham. <laughs> um, so we are speaking with the great. I'll pull this up here. I want to have the cast in front of me. Uh, Darren Gordon-Smith. Red River Horror Podcast here, talking Second Age of Aquarius coming out on February 11th. Now, you've brought it up quite a bit. I was I was going to try and wait and do the opposite of what I did with Brooke with you. So with Brooke, we went right into horror and then eventually made our way to the film. This this we we've just gone straight in. So I'm, so I'm going to give Repo the genetic opera just a few more seconds here and uh, ask you about. Uh, the plan. So, help me understand this process as far as you you know because of COVID, the film's coming out. Um, I know you were in Zed Fest. What typically would this path have been had COVID not been a thing? Like what? Like you obviously you're writer on this film, involved in all the music. Like what? What then? So you make the film. It's complete. What typically would have been the process had COVID not existed? If COVID had not existed, we would have gone the festival route um, and, and, and done that, possibly get an actual theatrical release. Um, and, you know, the, it's interesting because when Repo was out, uh, we, they had, it was easy to qualify um, for the Academy Awards, as a matter of fact, for music. When you write original songs, they had something like five spots. But we didn't get that spot due to uh, some some people, I will not mention, who were uh, the producers, but didn't send it on time. But the point of all that is, this time around, they got ten spots, 
And, you know, we would have tried for that if we had the theatrical release. Now, this way, though, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great way to go to do the platforming. Obviously, that's just the way people are watching films these days. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, oh, I was going to say, when we talked about Zed Fest, mm-hmm. um, when we went for the uh, awards ceremony, um, we talked about, I believe it's Carol who runs it, and she turns out, of all things, she's a huge monkeys fan. She loves the monkeys. <laughs> and when I told her that I had taken uh, banjo lessons from Peter Tork of the monkeys, she went crazy. You know, it was like, it was great. We kind of, of all things, we kind of bonded over that. Well, speaking of the monkeys, just because in Philly here, I produce, uh, I'm in radio, I produce a morning show here. Did you hear the story? This is so off topic, and I'm sorry to throw this at you. Did you hear about the story of the monkeys that got loose in Danville, Pennsylvania? Yes, was that in Pennsylvania? Have they found them yet? So they, they, um, they, they did... There's, there were, I think there were like three or four that were missing. They unfortunately had to euthanize some of them, but it, it's, yeah. but what a crazy story. Like, like, I mean, talk about, uh, like film. What, what is it? Life, life, uh, not life repeating art. film and film imitating whatever. Yeah, whatever like, you're going. life imitating art. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> like, that is crazy. D- that, that is crazy. I love that story. It's, I mean, they, they were laboratory animals, right? And, you know, it's kind of sad because I guess they're doing experiments on them. It's yeah. It's like planet of the apes and they're trying to escape. Um, but um, but they got them all back, I guess. Huh? They they did, and and I. What what's the craziest though? Was do you remember that movie Outbreak? I think it was from '96. Yes. That's all I could think of. Is is just like this is like <laughs> real life. This is happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, I'm sorry to keep you going off these topics because I'm like going screaming around and. You know, like some weird double helix here, but I'm having a good time with you. No, no, absolutely. And I just want to play real quick um, because you wrote all the music that's in the film. Uh, luckily for us, on the website, there is a sample of that. There's an excerpt of that. So I'm just going to play a little bit of that right now for the Red River Horror audience. All right. Some of the sounds from Darren Gordon Smith, our guest on the Red River Horror Podcast this week, from the film The Second Age of Aquarius, coming out on all the streaming services on February 11th. Now, let's get to some of that horror. So, you've brought it up quite a bit, and I'm very excited to talk about uh, talk about it. Repo, the genetic opera. Uh, I I usually don't do this, but I have to ask first, how was it working with Darren Lynn Boosman? Obviously, I'm a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) 
that I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. Let me tell you a little thing about Darren. He uh, he was our first director. Now, Repo started out as a stage show, and we did it in L.A. before going to Off-Off-Broadway in New York. But the first director that we had for our stage show was Darren Lane Bowsman. This is pre-saw, pre-fame, all that stuff. Sure. And liter- literally, Darren said, he said, I love Repo so much that, you know, if I ever make it big, I want to make a movie of this. <laughs> and, of course, we were just, Terrence and I, Terrence the dude is my co-writer in this, uh, in Repo. We just kind of like, yeah, what do you say to that? It's like, yeah, okay, cool. Well, you know, fast forward a couple of years, Darren Lynn Bowsman does make it big. <laughs> right. And true to it, yeah, real big. And he's true to his word, man. He's like, I am making this movie. Wow. It was, it, it, it was great. You know, now there's a guy who doesn't pull punches either, man. And he is, you know, he's, he's very blunt, very direct. But, you know, just, I mean, I think the results of his stuff speak for themselves. But, you know, I do have a lot of respect for him as, a, as an artist, as a director. He's, he's very good. Yeah, no, for sure. I um, and, and I'm sorry, it is Darren Lim Bowsman. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, if if he comes on the show and breaks my ball, I totally understand, Darren. Um, <laughs> but uh, what do you call it? No, we actually made a horror short film. There, there was a company about six or seven years ago called Tent Square, and it was a way for people, I guess, not in Hollywood, people like me here in Philly, to put their content out there, try and act, write songs, like win different contests in the creative space to be a part of the film business. Even though like, so like, obviously I'm not in the film business out there in Hollywood, but it was a way from like someone like me to get in. Darren Lynn Bowsman was one of the judges on, so they asked, they tasked us to create a short horror film. So it was like five minutes um, in length. And we didn't win, obviously. We <laughs> and we we didn't make it as a finalist. And um, but I thought it was so cool. The the films that did win were were obviously judged by him. So I watched them. I'm just like, hmm, okay. Like, what what is he looking for? What is like what is his process? What's his style and things like that. So I kind of got like a um, a view into his mind, I guess we'll say, other than from his films but you know you brought up saw to take something like saw that was so big at the time and have to follow that up <laughs> i i thought he did a fantastic job so i'm sorry I'm, I'm i'm a bit of a fan of his so we'll just talk about him for for a few more seconds then we'll move on <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fine yeah, no, he's, he's been, you know, he, he, and like I said, true to his word, the guy said he was going to make it. He pretty much strong-armed the studios, and that's another story in and of itself of how he got them to uh, Lionsgate to agree to produce Repo. Oh. Um, yeah, so, you know, long and short of it, he's, he's said, I'm not doing any more movies until <laughs> you do Repo, so um, we did that. Um, initially, he pitched it to Bob Weinstein, or the, Weinstein, the infamous Weinstein brothers. Sure. Uh, I don't know if 
if I can use foul language here on this show, but uh, oh, please, okay. <laughs> Bowsman, we're in New York. Bowsman comes out of the meeting. He says, "You know, Bob Weinstein gave gave me the three million dollar fuck you." <laughs> I'm like, "What the hell?" And he's like, "Yeah." Guy said he'd give you three million bucks for the film, but you have to make it out in Romania or something like that, where you can actually do it for three million. Um, and luckily, we didn't go that route, and um, you know we got a much better budget than that. So okay, that, that, that it was a very good experience. That's weird. See, now I've heard uh, as much as hey, I, I know the Weinstein's put a big X on their name. I get it now for sure. But I did hear that Bob knows his stuff. Like he was the Dimension Films like label. He was into the horror genre and and was a fan of producing horror films. So that surprises me. He just he's just wasn't into that project. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I mean, he might have been into it, but he was just like, this is a niche thing. He didn't want to put a lot of money behind it. Um, and uh, it, it really, everything worked for the best because we used um, Lionsgate and it was co-produced by Twisted Pictures who, of course, are the people behind the Saw franchise. Yep. So I had no complaints whatsoever. Everybody was great. And that's, I'm looking here, uh, just on, on Repo, the genetic opera. What was that? That was 2008. So Bowsman would have had Saw 2, 3, and 4 under his belt completely by then. Right? They made them year after year. Hmm. Yes, I believe that's right. He made another one, just and then we'll pivot from here. He made another one called uh, Abattoir, which I think is translation for Slaughterhouse. I can't remember much language, but uh, that was a good one, too. I liked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, it, it, Abattoir is a ghost. And I didn't know that either when he started this out. He, he, I think he started out having a comic book of it. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember going to that, and I honestly, I didn't know that word, but now I'm hearing it all over the place. But yeah, that was great. I happened to be in Spain when he was doing the movie 11, 11, 11. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure if I made the cut on that, but I had a little <laughs> walk-on scene in that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience. And, you know, mostly... You probably know this. Um, the Repo the Genetic Opera has got fans all over the world who dress up and shadow cast. They pay, <laughs> you know, their own money. Some of them are thousands of dollars of, of costumes, and they know every word in, this, in every part straight out of like Rocky Horror. And um, you know that's a great thing because you know it's, it's a movie with legs. It's 2008. You're right. But to this day, I get probably, definitely on a weekly basis, you know, on the social media, people are like saying how, you know, brilliant I am or whatever. (laughs) That's always a good thing, especially in Hollywood. You need a little bit of a boost ego-wise sometimes. Uh, Absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, hey. If I, I have, a, I had an old boss. I was in, um, I was producing a television show for him uh, for a few years for NBC Sports, and he said, like, like we would go to Orlando every year, and it was in the, it was a golf show, and uh, he always said, he's just like, yep, the number one golf show because we won among our peers, we were voted like the best golf TV show, 
And I'm just like, all right, like, why do we have to put a press release about this? Why do we have to do that? He's just like, if you don't tell anybody that you won and you, you know, you were the best, nobody's going to remember it. Nobody's going to care. So, yes, absolutely. You do need that. You need to have a little bit of ego in that space, right? <laughs> That's for sure. I actually, said, I think it was two days ago, uh, you know, of course, I'm on some of the, the repo fan club feeds on Facebook, and somebody had posted, like, one of these one of these contest things where you, where you, you vote what is the, your favorite song from repo. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I looked at that and I'm like, eligible to vote, but I'll just throw my weight behind one of them, which happens to be Cremaggio, which was sung by Sarah Brightman. Um, oh. When I did that, I got like 20, 30 responses. And like, first of all, they couldn't believe it's me. Like, I don't know, maybe they thought I died in this <laughs> but, but I, they're like, oh my God, just, you know, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. And I love your work. I love every single song and repo and Basically, one of them asked, you know, I'll get anything you do. So, uh, are you working on anything now? And I'm like, yeah, it's really nice you asked. Because on February 11th, I'm the second Perfect. So, it's great. I'll tell you, I have just so many friends from Repo, from uh, people who acted in the the stage show, acted in the movie, to just hundreds of people I've met traveling around the world at these repo uh, shadow casts. Mm-hmm. It's been a really wonderful community. Now I'm going to throw a curveball at you because I'm sure around the time that was released, there was a lot of questions about Paris Hilton. I will not be asking about Paris Hilton, but I will be asking about Paul Sorvino. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you... I like that question. I will not be asking about it. I will be. Yes, okay. What do you want to know about Paul Savino? So uh, the weird... This is a very strange story. Uh, I could have sworn I saw him at a diner that me and the co-host of this show, uh, actually the podcast host, Joe Zakreski, we... Went to this place called the Domino Diner in Philadelphia here in Roxborough, the northwest section of the city. It used to be open 24 hours, right? And you would see random like local celebrities. They would come in late sometimes on a Friday or Saturday night. I don't know if Paul Servino has any connection to Philadelphia, but I could have sworn that I saw him. And I'm just like, dude, is that the is that the boss from Goodfellas? Is that Pauly? <laughs> you know? And we were looking... Uh, I think it might have been, because he does have a nexus with Billy, and uh, although I wasn't there at the time, I he did take a bunch of people out um, in Philadelphia to kind of like a... I don't want to say mob-style diner, but <laughs> it was something like that, and it was like they closed up the shades and closed the doors, and they were treated to like a really intimate Italian dinner at this place. So, yes, the short answer is he grew up in New Jersey, and I, I have no doubt that he huh. goes a lot to Philly. So that probably was him. Of course, I was too. And the thing is, I wasn't a big like drinker or anything like that. So it's not like I was hanging out at this 24 hour diner because, you know, I was trying to sober up or anything. I was just like, if, if that's him, I don't want to walk up and, and say anything. But I could have sworn 
that was him. So he's he's in Repo the Genetic Opera. Um, yeah, I, I just got to – how does someone like that make his way into a film like Repo? Well, that, he was the very first actor we secured for Repo, for the movie. And when I went to his house, his place in L.A., um, you know, he said he would accept this role, but only if he had an opera tutor for him. Because he, he basically loves opera. He's sung it his whole life. And he took this role so seriously that he wanted this to be, you know, it had to be legit. It had, And his role does call for a lot of Italian opera, basically. And he did it so well. I will say this. He told me, now, you know, uh, at the time at least, he says, this is the most important movie I've, I've been in in like 30 years. Wow. I said, wait a second, Paul, weren't you? And at that point, it was like Goodfellas was 25 years before. And I'm like, sure. but you were in Goodfellas. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Um, so he was, he was essentially saying like, for him, this was even more important as a role than his role in Goodfellas. So wow. I have to say, that guy's great. Oh, I'll tell you another one. I, I, actually, I can speak all day about any of these Repo things. <laughs> I, since I, you know, co-wrote Repo, I decided, it, you know, I'm going to write myself a part. So I wrote myself a part. I put it, I have a little cameo as a band leader. And the day before we were to film it, we were doing the rehearsal. I'm supposed to be running down in the crowd and going crazy essentially <laughs> and then wind up on stage singing we started this opera shake that one of the songs from Repo. Well, when I actually rehearsed it, there wasn't any crowd. There was like Paul Servino and Darren Liz Darren Bowsman's lawyer. <laughs> and I'm running around going crazy doing all this stuff. <laughs> now after we took a break Paul Servino says, uh, do you want to get some advice? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, your acting stinks. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, rather get the because this is a great Paul Servino. I have so much respect for him. He told me why it's done, how it could get better, what to do, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if I ever achieved anything for him, but I did do it better when we actually did the move, did the thing the next day. Yeah. That guy was great because he was fucking blunt. <laughs> I could totally see it. I'm telling you, man, I, it, this had to have been Paul Servino at the, at the Domino Diner. I, I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to ask him, but I at least had to ask you about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't vouch for whether you were drinking or not, but <laughs> but I'll bet you it probably was. I mean, who looks like Paul Servino, man? And the guy's just, he's a present. <laughs> oh, man. So, again, we are speaking about the film The Second Age of Aquarius coming out on February 11th on all the streaming services. Darren Gordon Smith with us, our guest this week, talking a lot. Now, did you have anything musical to do with Repo? Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm the composer. I, you okay. know, I co-wrote the songs and 
And is the score on Rainbow just so, as in um, the second age of Aquarius? Yeah. Um, so, yes, I did have a lot to do with it. Um, I was the musical director throughout Rainbow's stage play days. and, and um, But I'll tell you, that with second age of Aquarius, I just got so excited by the talent of Michael Ursi, who plays Russell Aquarius. I mean, the talent of everybody who was in this movie. Hmm. Um, but it really inspired me to do what I did, doing this kind of um, just uh, an era, the late 60s era approach to music. I loved the music of that era anyway, so that made it really much special for me. And what I did to kind of prepare for it was like listen to a lot of the obscure groups from the late 60s. Not just, you know, the Doors, the Beatles, Rolling Stones. But look at, like, the, there were synthesizer groups, a group called United States of America that did this crazy synthesizer. They didn't even have a guitarist. There were Black Psychedelia, like a group called Black Murda. There were uh, two or three all-female bands from that era. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of great stuff. Um, and and the, here's the other thing. You know, it's people who like classic rock. You know, people will say, oh, you know, music was so much better back then, blah, blah, blah. Well, I won't disagree that this incredible music from, and Stacey and I, by the way, are huge Led Zeppelin fans. Uh, yeah. Um, first met, we met and we bought it over that. Okay, yeah, it's really phenomenal. But... From looking and doing this research, I can definitively say the, the 90% of the music back then sucked. <laughs> it's just like 90% of the, the, chart, the music charts right now suck. I mean, it's just, that's just life. You know, the, the, in history, we glean out the good ones. Mm-hmm. But honestly, people think of like these top top songs, let's say from 1969, what a great area, you had Led Zeppelin both albums, you had the Beatles, Abbey Road, you had all these great songs, Jimi Hendrix, uh, and the best, the biggest song of that year was not Let It Bleed by, or Give Me Shelter by the Rolling Stones, it was Sugar Sugar by the Archie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's so funny, it's like, Okay, I, you know, you can say what you will about the Archies, but honestly, I think, you know, I don't think people think of that when they think of 1969 or classic rock. Oh, man. This, the guy who, one of our really great people who are uh, acting the second age of Aquarius is Martin Olson, and he's he's Emmy Award winning um, comedy writer. Okay. And, uh, and, he did Phineas and Ferb and several other things. But what was so funny is I, I mentioned this very same point to to him and said, you know, that sugar, sugar, that, you know, the shitty Archie um, <laughs> song you did. And he just looked at me with this indignant thing. He goes, I know the guy who wrote the Archies, okay? <laughs> and he's like, he wasn't trying to be anything other than he was or whatever. And I'm thinking, this is so L.A., man. You know, you can't even make a comment about something where somebody else says, that's one of my best friends. Don't put it down. So, 
I shouldn't be doing this on your podcast, but I guess I am. Oh, no, no. (laughs) No, that's... Music was no better at any era than it is today, and there's so much great music that's going on today. There really is. I, um, I, I, it's, it's funny just, uh, you know, Stacy and my relationship over the years, just seeing her on social media and we've talked about the different things. I, um, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the music today, but it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting hearing like from you and from her and from people from like that know that era so well. The different things that like that you talk about, the different artists you bring up in the songs and like kind of what makes you tick, at least in the, I won't say top 40 music space from the past 50 years, but in the contemporary music space, that makes it decent. Like, like you said, like stuff that has made it, stuff that has, that's just, you know, a good song to a bad song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and you know that, and you know the, the instrumentalist. The character, you know, when John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, you know, he, that's his, him playing drums. There's so much individualism of the bands of that era. And I think also the, the, the vocalists back then in those kinds of bands were important to be sure, but they were just another instrument. They were, you know, like Led Zeppelin's great example is Robert Plant. He is, he's not the be and, and end all of, of Led Zeppelin. He's one of the, one of the instruments, if you will. Mm. Um, and I think that that's a big difference for music today, especially pop music. Mm. The singer is everything. The, the, you know, the, the instrumentalists, to the extent that they actually are in the instrumentalists, they're relegated to a, a really, you know, a role that I don't think is, appropriate uh, and so I do like the fact that you had bands in the classic era who really communicated with each other um, and so that that was important to me it was important to me in doing this soundtrack for the second age of Aquarius because I wanted to make music it's hard to describe but music that doesn't sound like it's on a grid Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I think people are familiar with seeing music um, as, it, as it's on a computer through Pro Tools. We get so exact about things and our ears will know when something's off by a microsecond. But back in the 60s, uh, the bands were looser. Now, to be sure, they, they toured and they, those songs, a lot of them were seasoned before they even got to the studio but you can especially hear this when you listen to headphones mm-hmm. you'll listen to Steppenwolf for example a great band you hear the organ on one side and the guitar on the, the other side of your left and right channel and one of them is just a little bit ahead of the other uh. and it's not totally on perfect and yet I think that's what people love they love the feel, and that's rock and roll, right? The feel of it, it was is greater than the sum of getting everything right on a grid, so it's just perfect and uh, auto-tuned. Yeah. Yeah, now, is there... Um, 
Oh, uh, let me think. This is so. What would you say your favorite era of rock is? Because it has taken so many forms since the very beginning. Your fav- favorite era of rock? I'd probably say the 1970s. Okay. And then after that, a, a close second would be the 1990s. Um, oh. You know, the 80s were kind of a time when uh, a lot of great music, but I think that to me, I got energized again in the 90s when I was hearing you know, Nirvana and all those groups. Um, I, I, so, so yeah, 60s, 70s, I kind of put those together, late 60s and 70s. I, that's probably my favorite rock era, um, but the 90s would be a close second. All right, and we are speaking to Darren Gordon-Smith. He is co-writer of The Second Age of Aquarius. That is coming out on February 11th on all the streaming services. Uh, co-written with our good friend Stacy Lane Wilson, directed by Stacy Lane Wilson. And again, just to mention some of this cast, Christina Jacqueline Kauf as Alberta Stevens, Michael Ursu as Russell Aquarius, uh, the star, I guess, uh, <laughs> Second Age of Aquarius. Keishan Giles or G- Giles or Giles? Uh, Giles. Giles, okay. I don't, I don't want him to get pissed at me. But Keishan Giles as Merrick McGillicuddy Martin Olson, as as uh, Darren just mentioned. He is Sid Greenblatt and, Greenblatt and our good friend Brooke Lewis Bellis as Tawny Stevens. So that comes out, and you can follow along. Um, stream it wherever you can, wherever you would like. We got music. Books on the website, secondageofaquarius.com. Uh, is there anything else you'd like you'd like us to know about the film, Darren? Well, there is a soundtrack that's also coming out on February 11th, and that that'll be available on all the places where you find, where you buy your music. Um, I just just want to say that the cast really made this this movie. I mean, honestly. I'll tell you, as somebody who scored the film, I had to see it about 20 billion times. Okay. <laughs> Even my own jokes aren't really as funny after the 20th millionth time I've heard it. Um, but um, seeing it, and, and, and especially, I have to say, real kudos goes out to our lead, Alberta Stevens, who's played by uh, Christine and Jacqueline Kelp. The subtleties in her performance just where she, you know, it, 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 there's there's a lot going on and a lot and a, a real art within within the com- comedic um, genre, but mm-hmm. there's a real arc in her character, and she drove this film. She really is a very talented actress. Um, for sure. That's all, all right. I have to say. <laughs> all right, no, no, greatly appreciate your time. Second Age of Aquarius. Is the film Second Age of Aquarius.com, February 11th release. And that has been episode number 73 with Darren Smith. I hope you guys enjoyed it. This has been the Red River Horror Podcast. I'm Joe Zakreski. That was Eddie Cayazzo. And remember to keep traveling those channels of fear.